subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. Well, again, uh, thank you, Emily, Dr. Emily Jamia on the Toddcast now. Uh, your Instagram bio, expert in love and libido, which is the name of your podcast, Love and Libido. Yep. Uh, therapist, speaker, author. Which of those eats up most of your time uh, during oh the gosh. day? You know, these days I would say my work day is kind of split between seeing clients and working on the podcast. There's a lot there. And then, you know, I have a monthly sex column with healthy women and everything else is just sort of piecemealed together. But I would say for sure, working with clients and my uh, podcast. And and what are the sort of attributes? And I'm going to get to a ton of uh, follower questions. I, I've got okay. a lot of questions for you. Yay. Uh, like what are the, what are the attributes that you would need to get into sex therapy? Is it like, like a good ear? Is it a dirty mind? Is it a unique <laughs> perspective on relationship? Is it a, like a combination of all three? What you know, it? yeah, that's a great question. I think people enter the field for so many different reasons. There's a lot of different motivations why people are become interested in it. I can share my experience. Um, and that was that I was studying psychology um, in, in my undergraduate program, and I took a human sexuality elective. And I just found it to be really fascinating. I think our sexuality is so intrinsically wound up in our psychology and it drives so much of human behavior and it's so important to relationships. And so for me, I thought, wow, this is something that would be really neat to focus on because sexuality can be kind of a window into a person's psyche. You can learn a lot about an individual and about a relationship by learning about sexuality for that person and what it means for them. Um, and so from that point forward, I really just focused all of my work on, on sex and relationships. And so for me, it's just a niche, you know, just like another therapist might specialize in eating disorders or in depression. I specialize in sex and relationships. Okay. And I have a ton of great questions here for you. So okay. uh, as soon as I mentioned, you're going to be a guest, I would say I got a good 10 anyway for you. Awesome. Patrick says, why do all the girls I know friend zone me? What am mm. I doing wrong? Interesting. I mean, it's hard to answer without having a little bit more information, but, you know, I think I had a, a question come through that was kind of similar to this, that it was a guy who was so afraid uh, of coming off as like predatory or pushy that he kind of like disconnected from his sexual energy when interacting with women. And I, I'm just wondering if maybe that could be what's happening a little bit here. You know, obviously we needed the Me Too movement and a lot needs to change in terms of consent and patriarchy and all of those things. But I think a lot of men feel a little inhibited or scared to come off too strong. And so it's a really fine line, I think, between developing the skills you need to, to communicate and an interest sexually and to flirt and to find banter and to make that clear for people. And so I'm wondering if maybe it's that, um, if that is in part, what might be going on for this guy. Could be Also the other side of the coin where he, maybe he's just a bit of a pushover. Like, again, we don't really know the specifics of Patrick. Yeah, hard to say, hard to say. Finger, but, um, you know, maybe it's just that he needs to take the bull by the horns. 
Right. Right. And just, that's what I'm saying. Like be a little more assertive and people can be assertive and clear about their interests while also, you know, being respectful and, you know, maintaining boundaries. Um, but it's something a lot of times I think people just have to experiment with trial by error, uh, trial and error before they can find a good balance between the two. Yeah. Uh, you're going to love Brad's question. How long should you wait before dating a friend's ex? Is, is there an acceptable time frame? Oh man, that's a great question. You know, I would, I don't know that there's like a right answer to that. I would say you need to talk to your friend and, you know, make sure it's not going to somehow negatively impact the friendship. If it's a really close friend, there's a good chance that they may not really feel comfortable with that. That could create some awkwardness, like, you know? Yeah. You may not be, other people may have absolutely no issue with it. You know, I think everybody is a little bit different. I always try to, you know, I don't encourage being possessive about people and, you know, certainly not in relationships, but sometimes things get a little awkward after a breakup. And so, you know, you can imagine how that might feel for the ex-girlfriend and your friend. Like if the three of you were hanging out together, that might be a little bit uncomfortable. And so my advice would be to talk to your friend first and see how it would affect the friendship and how they would feel about it before making that call. Uh, Sharon says, I recently broke up with my boyfriend of six years and I can't get physical with a man. I lack trust. Help me Mm. gain it back. Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, going through any kind of betrayal in a relationship can create a lot of fear and anxiety when starting something new. I mean, no one likes to be hurt. No one likes to be rejected. And Especially certainly six years no one, is a long term. That's a yeah, long six years. Exactly. That is a long time. You know, I wonder what's if maybe some individual work would be a good first step for this person. I do think a lot of healing can come from a healthy relationship, but if at this point she's too scared to start anything because maybe she's been traumatized by what happened in the previous relationship. It may be a good first step to work with a therapist to, you know, get some help processing what her experience was and and develop some coping skills and some clarity about what she needs to do to enter her next relationship in a way that feels safe. But, you know, eventually it's one of those things you got to kind of jump in. Um, You know, I think it can be really helpful to look back and identify what maybe some of the red flags were so that you don't make the same mistakes again. Um, And a good therapist can help a lot with that. Right. Uh, We're talking with uh, Dr. Emily Jamia. Christine says, can you tell us about female Viagra? I can tell you there is no such thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Believe me, the pharmaceutical companies are working really hard to create a female Viagra, but there's really nothing good available on the market. There was a drug that came out a few years ago that was kind of marketed as the female Viagra, um, but not that many women noticed much of a positive effect from it. Plus, you know, you couldn't have a drink if you took the medication. Plus it was causing low blood pressure and people were passing out. So (laughs) a lot of people sort of realized, you know, maybe the benefits here aren't really worth the side effects. Mm -hmm. And we also need to be careful when we're marketing anything or describing anything as a female Viagra, you know, what Viagra, 
chakra does is help a penis become erect. It works on arousal. Um, and what I think a lot of people are wanting a female Viagra for is to boost desire, which is a little bit of a different phenomenon. Um, and there are so many factors that affect one's desire for sex. And what we find is, you know, you can pump a guy full of testosterone all day long. If he is too anxious, if there is too much stress going on at work, or, you know, there can just be a million things that can actually over, um, ride the effects of things like testosterone or Viagra and that guy's desire or ability to get an erection. And so you always want to ask yourself first, what could be impacting my sexual desire? Is it my individual health? Is it my mental health? Are there relationship dynamics at play that maybe aren't making me feel very attracted to my partner? Is there conflict? Is there, a, am I getting adequate sleep at at night? Am I getting enough exercise? Am I stressed out all the time? Is work putting a lot of pressure on me? Are kids putting a lot of pressure on me? So there could just be so many things that influence desire. And at this time, we don't have a medication that can overpower lifestyle for a lot of people. So mm. yeah, it's believe me, they're working on they're it. Working. So far <laughs> we haven't struck gold. All right. Um, now, I think this one kind of spins into what Amy is asking. She says, my new boyfriend isn't circumcised. It's the first I've been with that isn't. I'm weirded out. Can't bring myself to go down there. Oh, but man. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I just had a question come through um, on my podcast where we explored this exact topic. Um, and the person, the person who put the question was uncircumcised and had had some you know, partners who had kind of a negative response. So I think it's important to remember that circumcision still most the majority of people in the US do get circumcised but only about 60%. So there's a good 40% of people who aren't circumcised and the number of people who are getting circumcised is going down in the US. Um a lot of people now consider it kind of a, a form of genital mutilation. Um as it stands, the American Pediat American Academy of Pediatrics, I think, does still recommend it, or at least they say that getting, you know, a baby boy circumcised can help lower the transmission of STDs and that it keeps things cleaner. But if you're with someone who has good personal hygiene, um, an uncircumcised penis is no less clean than a circumcised penis. And remember that when an uncircumcised penis becomes erect, you really can't tell that much of a difference between a penis that is circumcised because the foreskin pulls back. And so it doesn't really look that any different. Um, but you know, uh, globally only about one third of, um, males are circumcised. So if you, you know, hook up with someone in Europe or South America or Asia, chances are they aren't going to be circumcised. So I think there's still a lot of like stigma about uncircumcised penises here in the U S but the key thing is hygiene. If you're with someone who, isn't taking very good care of themselves, then, you know, that's something to consider, but that would be the case if they were circumcised as well. Um, but it, you know, it really isn't any different. A lot of women actually find that it can kind of enhance sensation because there's kind of a ribbing effect that occurs during vaginal intercourse. And so a lot of people end up really liking it. Um, so I would encourage you to, to release any stigma you have about uncircumcised penises and have fun with your partner and don't do or say anything that is going to make him feel bad about his body. That's a big no, no. 
jump on it, Amy. Yeah. Uh, Shane says, I love PDA, but my wife would rather wait till we get home. I can't even kiss her in public. How can I get her to warm up to the idea? Oh, great question. I think it kind of depends on the context. I would encourage him to talk to his wife. I think there's there's a lot of room for collaboration here. You know, it may be that it's a hard no for her to like make out at a public park, but maybe she would be comfortable with a, you know, kiss or hand holding while sitting at the bar having cocktails. You know, I think that I would encourage you to just talk to her a little bit more about you know, what the hard limits are around PDA and where maybe you can find some room for compromise, um, you know, and, and really understand what her issue is with PDA. I think a lot of times we hear a person's no, and the conversation ends there, but understanding why I think could, you know, yield a deeper dialogue about what some of the concerns are. Um, and, and likewise, I'd encourage you to explore why it's important for you to have more PDA. What is that doing for you? Why does it matter so much? Um, I think when you get to the root of the motivation, then you can find a little bit more ground for compromise. Yeah. Cause it almost makes you wonder like, what is it that they don't like, why can't you peck your wife on the cheek in mm-hmm. public? Why can't you pat her on the ass and you know, all the stuff in your home. Sometimes it's cultural and, you know, I'm wondering like if his wife comes from a culture where their, you know, public displays of affection are kind of frowned upon or they're like, no, no, or just not, you know, socially acceptable. Um, There are certainly cultures where that's the case. And so it's important to understand why. Yeah. Uh, Cam says, my girlfriend can't get past the fact I'm still friends with my ex. I'm not screwing around on her. I want to stay with her, but this jealousy is overwhelming. Any advice? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to friends of the opposite sex, and this is especially true if you want to maintain friends with an ex, you always want to ask yourself, is this person a friend of me alone or are they a friend of the relationship? If this is an ex who maybe you're confiding in about problems you're having with your current partner, and maybe the three of you aren't spending a ton of time together, you might want to kind of reevaluate why it's so important for you to stay friends with this person. Um, and really if they are someone who is accepting of your current partner and your current relationship, you know, I also think that it kind of depends how long the relationship has been over. I mean, if it was just a few months ago that you've had a sexual relationship with this person that can feel kind of intimidating for a new partner, um, to enter into. And so it may mean that you need kind of a cooling off period for a while and maybe a little bit of distance before bringing this person back into your life. And when you do bring that person back into your life, always try to make it a group thing. So I think that's really what will minimize any feelings of jealousy or discomfort, Um, that your current partner might have. If it's, you know, an ex from middle school (laughs) that you're friends with, then, you know, I would say the current partner maybe needs to reassess what feels threatening about that. So it kind of depends on what the situation is. All right. Uh, Crystal, last question for followers. And I want to get into your your life a little bit. I know I've I've, I've Mm -hmm. only got you for another maybe 510 here. Sure. Um, So Crystal goes, how can I get my husband to try new things in the bedroom? We've been together almost 20 years. He's a missionary kind of guy. Mm -hmm. I would love to try new things. Yeah. So I talk a lot about that, actually just a little bit about this in my online workshop. So it's so important to 
to have kind of a wider sexual script. A lot of times people find what works and they stick to that script. But the reason that that's a problem is because eventually you might find that something doesn't work the way you expect. Let's say you're always a a missionary guy, but you injure your shoulder. You know, it might be hard to get into that position. If you're, if you don't have your feet wet on what it's like to explore different kinds of things, then you might find that you're stuck and don't really know what to do. Um, Part of what keeps sex exciting in long-term relationships is a little bit of sexual novelty and variety. I think a lot of people here try new things and their mind jumps to like, you know, extreme kink. And a lot of times that's not really what people want or need. It could be. And if so, that's something to talk about, but it's also really important to take baby steps. We know that you don't need to do anything big or grand to, to create a feeling of excitement and newness. Sometimes doing something that's just like 4% different from what you typically do mm-hmm. is enough to create a feeling of excitement and even induce a feeling of flow, which is kind of that like out of body, fully absorbed experience that a lot of people want to have during sex. Um, what I do is have people, I have these like really lengthy handouts of all kinds of different things you might do sexually. And I have people check a box. If it's something they currently do, you check another box. If it's something you want to do more of you check a box, if it's something you don't currently do, but you want to try, you can Mm. put an X in a box. If it's something that's like a hard no for you. Um, but you want to all, you want to remember that you and your partner are partners. And that includes sex as well. And if you're totally unwilling to work as a team, when your partner wants to try something different, then that's going to create a lot of tension in the relationship. Um, sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction are really strongly linked. And so if one person is chronically sexually dissatisfied, it's going to spill over into the relationship relationship, you might find that your partner is a little more irritable. Um, it can cause like feelings of depression for people. It's pretty important. So I always encourage people to be a little bit flexible. A lot of times you can find areas that you're, you want to assess whether it's something you're at least open to versus something that's a hard no. Um, and a lot of times you can identify things that you're at least open to trying a couple of times before ultimately deciding maybe it's not for you. Mm. Uh, and of course, more information always at your website too, right? Emilyjamia.com. Yep. Yeah. So let's get outside of uh, sex therapy and, and relationship advice and what you're known for. Okay. What was the mm-hmm. music in, in your house as a kid growing up? What are your, what are the, oh, what are the, what are the bands your parents were playing? You know, I, um, so my mom, I, she loved like oldies. And so I remember being in the car with her listening to like oldies, you know, the Beatles, things like that from like the fifties and sixties. Um, my dad is Cuban. And even though he was, he was primarily raised in the U S he was born in Cuba. And so I also have memories just being at my grandmother's house and there being, you know, Cuban music, salsa, that kind of, that kind of thing playing. So very different, I would say, but um, yeah, had a yeah. good, and my dad himself, he liked like, you know, rock and roll. And so there was definitely like Mick Jagger on the, in the cars, in the car rides with him. Yeah. And and what was your first concert that you went to? My first concert was, I think it was Alanis Morissette. <laughs> yeah. Or it might've been the Red Hot Chili Peppers. One of the two, I think they happened around the same time, but 
um yeah i mean i had that whole jagged little pill album like memorized and so that was a fun concert yeah and yeah. that was uh i guess taylor hawkins would have been the drummer for alanis morissette at that point taylor hawkins was the drummer mm -hmm. for foo fighters who just recently died oh i did not know that was yeah really he, he uh was found uh in his hotel room in bogota oh my gosh i know terrible right? like what yeah, the biggest rock bands on the planet yeah How the hell did that oh man uh, when you find time, what are you binge watching lately? Okay. I let's see. Oh, I just <laughs> watched white Lotus actually for the second time. I think that show is hysterical. It's a really dark comedy for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I just thought the casting in that series was superb. Like I think the writer wrote the roles for the actors that he picked and well, sure, it was right? just, yeah, it was so funny. I watched that. Um, uh, before that, I watched Succession. That was a good one. Um, sometimes it's hard for my husband and I to find shows we both like. So we oh, need it's something impossible. new. <laughs> my wife and I, she's always wants the drama and she wants like, yes, you know, yes. the, the relationship stuff yeah. where I'm like, yeah. I just want action. I just want action. I want some comedy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really the same. tough to find. It's really totally. tough to find. Totally. Yep. Um, how about sports? Do you get into sports? Who, which, which is your team if you are? You know, I am not a huge sports person. I live in Houston. So of course, like if a team's doing well, cheer them on. Like, you know, the Astros went to the world series a few years ago. Like that was exciting, but, um, yeah, I'm not, we're not a huge sports family. Yeah. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Mm -hmm. If you could have a superpower, which power would you want to have? Probably my, like being able to see the future <laughs> because I'm always like wondering what's going to happen. And it's something I'm constantly working on. Um, but you could only have it for like, you know, maybe you could see like a day. Two yeah. Days, yeah, days. exactly. A little bit in advance and yeah. then flying. I mean, I don't know what I have dreams that I can fly and that always feels amazing. That That's, would be a fun one too. People say that I've never, ever had a dream where I'm flying ever. Really? Oh gosh. It's nice. And I also don't remember my dreams. Like why don't people remember dreams? Do you know that? It probably means you're sleeping really deeply and that you're not anxious. <laughs> so I think people, there's evidence that people who have more vivid dreams are people who are a little, the, the mind just has a harder time calming down to get oh. kind of in that deep sleep. So that's actually a good sign. If you're sleeping deep enough, you don't remember your dreams. Uh, I don't go to sleep until I literally have to though. Yeah. Like I'm like fighting to stay awake. Mm -hmm. and, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe aliens have visited earth? Or maybe they even live among us. I believe there's some kind of extraterrestrial life. Um, I can't say I believe aliens have visited the earth. I'm not, I wouldn't say that definitively, yeah. but yeah, I know people see some kind of spooky things in the sky every now and then, but I think we would know. I, I think, think so we too. would know. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll respect your time here. A couple more questions. Okay, we'll sure. wrap it up. Okay. Uh, I want you to share a near death story with us where you're like, holy oh. crap, I could have just died. Yeah. Okay. So I was, let's see, I think I was like 14, let me 13 or 14. And I was living in Tennessee at the time. And I was supposed to fly to Houston where I now live, um, which is where a lot of my extended family lives. And we get to the airport and I just, I'm having this like 
pain in my chest. Now, granted, I'm like 13, 14 years old. So it's not like my parents were that worried about it. They said, maybe it's just some indigestion, take some Tums or whatever, but I just was not feeling right at all. And I finally said, you know, I just, I'm not comfortable going. I was supposed to fly with my cousin. We were going to fly alone. I think I said, I just, I don't want to go. Something is wrong. So I didn't go. And my parents took me to the doctor and it turned out I had, um, it's called like a pneumomediastinum, which is where somehow it could have been just like an overstrain. Maybe I lifted something too heavy, but like a little hole forms, um, between your lungs and your heart. And so air was like leaking out of my lungs into the sack around my heart. And the doctor said that if I had flown on the descent, there's a chance that there could have been like a major health complication, like a stroke or something like that. And so it was just kind of one of those always listen to your body <laughs> kinds of situations. Is it, is it that cr- like incredible that if I a know teenager, you're like, nah, yeah, I was like, this, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm um, thankful. My parents didn't like push me too hard. And, and wow. you know, it's one of those things that just heals by itself and I'm totally fine now, but that could have been scary. Could have yeah. been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last one's probably the toughest. It's always the toughest for everybody. Okay. What's your, can you nail it down to one career highlight? Is that even possible? One career highlight. Oh my gosh. Um, let me think about that. I, I mean, I got interviewed for Oprah magazine once that was really exciting. Um, I mean, cool. any kind of, it wasn't of course by Oprah herself, but you yeah. know, to at least be named an Oprah magazine. That was a big one. That's like always first on my list of like Emily's expert opinion has been featured in. It's always sure. Oprah magazine. Number one, yeah, yeah. um, I had the opportunity to meet Lisa Ling once, which was really exciting. She was the keynote speaker at an event that I was, um, a conference speaker at. And so I had the opportunity to meet her and she is such, I think an incredible journalist and she kind covers a lot, you know, with sexuality. And so, um, that was a really cool experience as well. I'd say those might be my two main highlights. Yeah. It's cool to think about the yeah. stuff you've done. Hey? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully there's even bigger highlights on the horizon. There'll be, there'll be more along the way for sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you again for taking some time this morning to, uh, join us. Dr. Emily Jamea, uh, you're simply Dr. Emily Jamea on Instagram and, t- and Twitter. Your website is. Emily I don't Jamea. tweet that much. I don't tweet that yeah, much, I but I am on TikTok. I do TikTok. I was actually going to bring yeah. that up. Come yeah. over to the dark side. Twitter's, <laughs> yeah. Twitter's fun too. I can't add another social media account, but yeah, know, you'll find me on. Sometimes it, just feel like overwhelmed. A lot, yeah, but you'll find online. me on Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> well, your Instagram's awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you again. Have a great day, and uh, I guess we'll see you online. The Toddcast Podcast. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at Toddcast Podcast. <laughs>